0: The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect.
1: Our teaching text this evening comes from Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Well, happy one year to you, Citizens Church. Uh, If you are new, thanks for crashing our one-year birthday party. Super glad to have you. We'd love to meet you, get you connected to Jesus or to our church. My name is Tim. get the privilege of being a pastor here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, we'll get where we're going. God, thank you for who you are, and thank you for your, your kindness to us, made evident and put on display so undeniably, and unable to be ignored over the past year. And you are are good. You're good. Your mercy endures forever. As we sit in this moment, this opportunity to get to gather with your people, to sit under your word, to proclaim that one day the the light is going to dawn and Christ is going to return and that you're going to make all things new again. Lord, would you help us in this moment Push down the walls, the lies, the, the doubts, the noise. And we would hear from your spirit. We love you. We need you. Would you illuminate your word in our hearts? Let us be changed. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, happy one year. Uh, We have a lot uh, that we get to celebrate this year uh, and just kind of point back to you and think about everything we've been through. But one of the things you have to know is that if you've ever been to a one-year-old birthday party, you know that a one-year-old birthday party is not really about the kid right? I've been to a number of these, having a kid of my own this year. You get invited to more once you have your own, it feels like. And what I've noticed is we show up and there's a little part of it that's about the kid, namely them smashing cake on their face for no reason. But the rest of us is like, hey, good job parents, right? Like you did it. You made it a year. You survived and you kept this human alive for a year. And so we're here today to celebrate our church and to celebrate in some way the collective sacrifices that we have made together as a church. But make no mistake about it, we're not ultimately here celebrating citizens, we're here celebrating our Father. We're here celebrating God, His faithfulness to us, His kindness to us. If I can just pause in this moment before we get into what we're talking about and make sure you know about God's faithfulness over this year and what we have seen happen. Here's just a few things. Slater, you mind turning me down just a little bit, that'd be great. A few things we've seen this year. First, we've seen four people get in this 1950s painted pool behind me. And get dunked under the water, celebrating, professing that they have new life in Christ. We're going to do another one next week. We've seen community groups multiplied into various parts of our city, specific areas we were praying towards, Matthews and University City, Elizabeth and others. We've served foster families. We've served people in recovery, elementary school kids and parents and teachers through our Serve Charlotte initiatives. We've seen people get married. We've seen people have babies. We've seen new friendships formed. We've seen healing. Emotional healing, physical healing, mental healing, spiritual healing. We've seen people confess and repent of sin for the very first time and begin to experience redemption through Christ. God has been so kind to us as a church. But here's the deal. I believe I'm hopeful and praying that we are just getting started. I'm praying and believing that God has so much more in store for our church in the years to come. So grab a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 6. So we're going to be hanging out this evening. What I want to do tonight is I want to cast some vision for where we are headed as a church in 2022. And I want to share a burden that is going to be really hard for me to not talk too fast because the Lord has been pressing it on me over the past few months. And I've been itching to get to lay this before you for where we are headed over the next year. And this vision is going to give shape to our ministries and our teaching and what we do as a collective unit over the last year. And so what I want to do tonight is I just want to give you the vision and ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit to buy in. It's my goal for where we're going tonight. I'm just going to lay this before you, say, this is where I feel like the Lord's leading us as a church. Would you buy into this in 2022? But before I give you the vision, let me tell you why I feel like the Lord is leading us into this. If you've ever run a road race of any considerable length, so think about like a marathon or a half marathon or even a 10K, one of the pieces of advice that hopefully you got before your first ever race from experienced runners was to not start too fast. And one of the things they tell you is, hey, you're going to get to the starting line and your adrenaline is going to be going because you're going to have trained and you're going to be excited. And there's going to be a whole crew of people around you. Sometimes there's live music and you're just hyped up, ready to go. And what happens if you don't heed that advice is that the gun goes off and you blaze out of the gate way faster than you've ever run in your entire life. And way faster than the pace that you set out to run. So what happens is you get to mile three or four or five and you start to get winded. You start to burn out. What does that mean for us? I don't know if you know this. Maybe you're new or you just haven't seen it or don't get around like I have. But in church planning world, we as a church are considered a fast start. We just are. I know you're like, this doesn't make sense. Are you, are you sure? Like I've seen, uh, yeah, we are. I go to conferences, I talk to other church planners and they're just like, God is what? God is doing what in your midst? But despite my best efforts to screw it up, God is still faithful to us. People keep meeting Jesus. People keep getting plugged into community. But here's the deal, church. I've never been concerned as a pastor for year one. I've always been concerned about year 10 and year 15 and year 20. So what I want to do is I want to lay out a vision for where we're headed. The problem is that we live in a culture that's seeped into the church now that is obsessed with novelty and with ease. We are obsessed as a culture with novelty. We love what is new, right? New job, new city, new home, new friendships, new everything, like new experiences. We just want what is new. We live with with what C.S. Lewis writes about in his book, um, something, but this is what he writes, (laughs) screw tape letters. He says that we as humans, in screw tape letters, he says that we as humans have an aversion to what he calls, quote, the horror of the same old thing. We always want something new. Give me what's new. Give me the next big thing, but here's the deal, church. You have to understand, perpetual novelty is a danger to spiritual maturity, Let me say that again, perpetual novelty, always needing something new is a danger to spiritual maturity because often the path of spiritual maturity is the path of the same old thing. The things you know, Bible reading, prayer, community, gathered worship with God's people. And there's a difference between starting power as a church and staying power as a church. So we need a vision to keep going when this gets boring and repetitive. Maybe you've already felt that but we don't just love novelty, we also love ease, right? We fight in our lives to push back against anything that is hard or difficult. There's this emphasis overwhelmingly in our society to live lives that are as peaceful, worry-free, anxiety-free, and trouble-free as possible. So it's okay if it's hard to a certain extent as long as the payoff is worth it, but once it gets to a certain level of hard, then we just bail, and that makes us flaky people, right? This job is tough, so I'm just gonna switch jobs. These kids are disobedient and annoying, so I'm just going to check out and stop paying attention. This friendship is costly, so I'm going to make unbiblical boundaries. This is true for all of life, and it's true for our walk with Jesus. So we need a vision to keep going, not only when this gets boring and repetitive, but also when it gets difficult and costly. When it gets hard, when it stops being easy. Here's the good news for us. Right into the midst of that temptation and pull towards novelty and towards ease comes Galatians 6, this phrase for our church. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through Galatians 6 together, and then after that, I'll kind of lay out the vision, but I want to show you the Bible first, because that's what's ultimate. That's what's most important Galatians 6, this is coming right off the heels of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, where we spent 10 weeks on this fall, talking about these two operating systems of life, right? That we have the flesh, this operating system that goes against God, rebels against God, doesn't want the things of God, and the Spirit who God gives to his people to pull us and direct us and move us towards life with God. And Paul just finished chapter 5 by giving this command that really summarizes all of the Christian life. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. That God is moving, and our job as Christians is to stay aligned and congruent with God. And then we get to Galatians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So when when Paul here says caught, he doesn't mean like gotcha caught. He means like stuck caught. If someone is stuck in a transgression, if they're caught in habitual sin, if they're struggling with the same thing, trying to follow Jesus, but continuing to say yes to sin and no to God, he says you who are spiritual, you who are walking with Jesus should come alongside of them and restore them the same word used in ancient greek for resetting it's a medical term it's what doctors do with a broken bone if you've ever broken something a doctor they reset the bone and he says hey if someone's caught in sin you who love jesus and love them come alongside of them and restore them reset them to life with god and then he keeps going first one keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. So he says, you got to get close to them, but know that their temptations are going to become yours. So keep watch on your own heart, even as you're helping push them back to Jesus. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right. So given the context of what Paul just said, restore those who are caught in sin, what he means in caring or bearing each other's burdens in verse two definitely means spiritual burdens. Right? He says there's going to be burdens that people have around you in trying to follow Jesus. Weight that they can't handle on their own, and you need to come alongside of them and bear that with them. He says when you step in and you bear one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ, meaning you live out what Jesus says are the two most important commandments, love God and love one another. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, then, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. All right, notice in verse 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And in verse 5, he says, each will have to carry his own load. What's going on there? What's the tension? Well, here's what's happening. There's a difference for Paul in the New Testament between burden and load. So Paul uses two different Greek words with two different meanings. Let me nerd out because it matters. So his first, when he says burden in verse 2, it's the Greek word baros. What it means is excessive burden. It's weight that that person is not meant to carry, that they are unable to lift. I've told this story before about how when I was getting into weightlifting in college, I, I went to the YMCA and I tried to bench press and it fell on me. That's a burden, a baros. His word for load, though, in verse five, is the, the Greek word fortion, and it means a, a cargo or a backpack. It's, it's heavy, it's weight, but it's manageable. It's something that you can carry on your own. And he distinguishes between the two. Okay, a load is a heavy backpack full of responsibility that's heavy, that takes effort, but is manageable and given by God. A burden is an overwhelming crushing weight that we're called to carry alongside of one another. Let me play this out into your life, right? A good job, a job that has difficulty, a job that can be tedious and mundane and hard to live in, but still good and a gift from God, that's a load, A boss that's verbally abusive, unhealthy hours, that's a burden. All right, you see the load, you see the burden? Verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So Paul doesn't mince words here. He says, you will not make a mockery of God. God will not be mocked. You can't make him into a fool. You will reap what you sow. In other words, you get out what you put in. If you sow something, that is the fruit you're going to reap. In other words, if you plant pumpkin seeds, you're not going to get an apple tree. And that's true in all of life, right? If you put in unhealthy food, like I did way too much of over Christmas, you're going to get out unhealth." If you put in laziness at work, you're going to get out getting passed over for promotions. On the flip side, if you put in work on your friendships, you get out robust, healthy relationships with others. You get out what you put in. That's true in all of life. That's also true in our discipleship to Jesus. If you sow deep biblical community, Bible reading, prayer, you're going to reap maturity and spiritual health. But if you sow jealousy and selfishness, an apathy. Don't be surprised when you reap a frail, shaky faith that's uncertain with Jesus. You will reap what you sow. You will get out what you put in. God is not mocked. Listen, the person you are in, the person you are in 20 years is the person you are becoming today. What you reap, what you sow, you will reap. Verse nine, let's finish out. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul's like, hey, guess what? This is going to get hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. Don't give up. There's a promise. You're going to reap. One day you will, when Christ returns, you will reap. So let's, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. All right, that's Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Let me apply it into our vision for the year. This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on tonight. Here's our kind of pastoral emphasis for 2022, shaping what we do as a church. Here we go. Citizens Church in 2022 is going to be following Jesus together with grit. Following Jesus together with grit. So we're going for in this year, following Jesus taking ownership over your discipleship to Jesus, taking responsibility for your walk with Christ. We're going to do that. We're going to do it together. Not only taking ownership over your walk with Christ, taking ownership over someone else's walk with Christ. We're going to do it with grit. Continuing to do so, even when it gets difficult, hard, and mundane, we're going to have perseverance. We're going to remain steadfast. So for the rest of our time, I want to look at these one by one. We'll take them in order. Number one, following Jesus. Following Jesus. This year we're going to do what we've been doing as a church, which is continue to put a big emphasis on your discipleship to Jesus. So let me say a bunch of things hopefully you've already heard over the past year. Galatians 6, let's look back at 5, 7, and 8. Paul writes, for each will have to bear his own load. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Church, this year you have to bear your own load. You have to take responsibility for your walk with Christ. You are the one who sows, so you have to own what you sow. And so the question for you this year is, are you going to sow to the spirit or are you going to sow to the flesh? What's the trajectory of your life going to be? Is your life set up such that at the end of this year, you're going, yeah, I'm going to look more like Jesus based on the habits and rhythms and routines of my life. Following Jesus for us means you own your discipleship to him. You own your following after him. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by discipleship to Jesus? This is taught about us a lot. The call from Christ throughout the gospels was to follow him. I'll give you two examples. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus shows up and he says, take up your cross and follow me. John 10, 27. He says, my sheep, my people hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This means that Christianity is not a set of rules that you obey, and it's not simply a set of beliefs that you affirm so that you go to heaven when you die. Being a Christian is not simply affirming some propositional truth statements. Being a Christian means following after Jesus, It means being his disciple. It means coming to Christ and doing what the first century disciples used to do when they followed their rabbis. It means you build your life around these three practices. We keep trying to throw at you and lay before you of what it means to be a disciple or an apprentice to Jesus. First, we be with him, right? We build out space in our lives for all of the practices that help us abide with and dwell in and live in the presence of God. Practices like Bible reading and prayer Fasting, feasting, silence, and solitude. As you examine your 2022 schedule, is there space for God? Is there space for you to abide with Jesus? And as you are more and more with Jesus, the aim is that we would become more and more like Jesus. We would become like him. What is Jesus like? Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit. All the things we looked at last fall. Christ embodies perfectly. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control as you look out over 2022, as your life set up towards the trajectory where at the end of the year you're more loving, you're more full of peace with God and others, you're more joyful, more patient. And as we're with Jesus and transformed more and more to become like Jesus, we are then moved to do what he did. To join Christ in the work he is doing in the world to redeem people and creation back to himself. So we start imitating his ministry on the earth. We start living out the ways of God's kingdom. We take care of the sick. We make disciples. We live in community. We're generous with our money and our time and our talents. We start practicing hospitality and welcoming in the stranger. This is the path of discipleship. We be with Jesus. We become like Jesus and we do what he did. The question for us is will you walk it. Will you walk it? You know the path before you. Will you walk it? Will you decide today that priority number one for 2022 in my life is not seven hours of sleep every night and getting better at golf? That's two of my goals. Feel free to share those. Those are good goals, but priority number one is at the end of this year, December 31st, I want to be with Jesus more. I want to look like him more. I want to join him in the mission that he is accomplishing in the world more. This is what our world needs, and this is what our church needs. Listen, the best thing you can bring to our church in 2022 is not your talents. It's not your serving hours. It's not your financial giving. The best thing you can bring to our church in 2022 is your discipleship to Jesus. You learning to follow after him, being with him, allowing him to transform you, following in his path, sowing to the spirit. But here's the deal, church. No one can do this for you. I cannot follow Jesus for you. I cannot, your spouse cannot follow Jesus for you. Your community group leader cannot follow Jesus for you. Your best friend cannot follow Jesus for you. You have to decide by the power of God's spirit, I'm going to sow to the spirit and build my life around him. This South philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard put it so perfectly. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's our greatest need. We would learn what it means to be apprentices to Jesus, but here's, here's the good news: That's a heavyweight. We haven't even gotten to two and three yet? Just number one's a heavyweight. Let me give you some good news. All of the Christian life from beginning to end is not one of initiation, but response. It's not one where we go get it for Jesus. We get after it. Just straight up tenacity all on our own. It's a response. Jesus went first. Jesus continues to go first. So when we say, okay, in your discipleship, the first move is to be with Jesus. We know in showing up to commune with God at the chair, with the coffee, at the table for 10 minutes before we go to work, we know when we show up to commune with God that he is already there, that he's already invited us, that he's already beckoned us, that he is the one, 1 John 4, who first loved us. And so we respond to his love. When I say become like Jesus, we know this process of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, is both God and man. That God promises, Philippians 1.6, to finish the work of making us like Christ that he began. When I say do what Jesus did, we know that it is Jesus who builds his church. It is God who advances his kingdom. We just join the work God is doing in the world. So what that means is that all of following Jesus, all of discipleship is grace. It's grace. It's a gift that God moves towards us, and so we can move back towards him by the power of his Holy Spirit, which is what it means to follow Jesus, that God moves, and then we respond. God initiates, and then we respond. We respond by God's love to God's love. We respond by God's power to God's power. So when we say we're going to follow Jesus, know that you follow a Jesus who is kind, who is gracious, And who is welcoming, and who is calling, and who is inviting, and who is initiating as a Savior. That's number one, follow Jesus. Number two, together. Together. Look back at verses one and two. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other in this. Following Jesus is not a lone wolf project. I want you to notice the assumption of Paul in Galatians 6, 2, when he calls us to bear one another's burdens. Notice his assumption. What's underneath that statement from Paul is this truth. We all have burdens. I love that Paul doesn't go, all right, this half of the church, you're the burdens, this half of the church, you're the bearers. Good luck. He says, no, we bear one another's burdens. And so what that means is there's going to be times this year where someone in your group, someone in your life, someone in your family, someone in your workplace is going to need you to be the bearer. There's going to be times in your life where those same people are going to need, you're going to need them to be the bearer. If I can borrow the language of of biblical counselor, Ed Welch, he says it this way. And I want to sit on this idea for a second. He says, Christian maturity means we learn to be needy and needed. We learn to be needy and needed. Now, depending on where you're at and who you are and how you're wired, you're going to struggle with one side of that equation. So for some of you in 2022, Christian maturity, a step towards Jesus is learning what it means to be needed. You're the one in the group who always is the one who needs support. Always is the one who takes. Let me give you a few indicators that might be you. You don't show up to work or don't show up to group, I mean, unless you're feeling it. You're, you don't, I, I gotta go first. In group time, and engage the hard time, I'm gonna share first and then I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna let my group leader handle the rest of it because that's kind of their job and I'm just here to get out what I can get out. Or you sit in sermon discussion time and it's like, I have that really good thought and maybe it'll bless somebody, but I just like don't really want to speak up because this is kind of for me and like me, 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 me processing it. Maybe you show up to church and you're, they're like, hey, how was church? And you're like, it was fine. Like the music wasn't that great. It was kind of weird, and Tim preached too long, and it just wasn't really for me. It wasn't, like it didn't speak to me. Or take it out of spiritual life. I mean, with your friendships. You're the person who always is talking about, I, my friends just don't do enough, they don't care enough, they're not for me enough, they're not about me enough, and the invitation from Jesus, following Jesus together for you, the step towards Christian maturity in the spirit for you, is in 2022 to learn to be needed. To say, I'm going to step in for somebody. Even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to step in. Even when it's hard, I'm going to step in. Now, there's a flip side. For some of us, Christian maturity in 2022 means we learn to be needy. We're always the one who's giving. We're always the one who's, I'm showing up to take care. We're always the one in our relationships and in our friendships who's playing the role of, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to take care of you. And that's a good thing. Don't hear me wrong. It's a good thing to be both, but we have to be both. And what I've found, at least in my own life, I mean, I got into ministry to be the person who's needed. What I've realized in my own life is often, when I refuse to be needy, one of two things is at play. Either it's fear, because vulnerability takes courage, or it's pride, thinking that I have to be the one to step in. I have to be the one to show up. I have to be the one to say the thing. If I don't say the thing, if I don't show up, if I don't meet the need, then Jesus isn't going to do it because he has to work through me. Not that he wants to work through me, not He will work through me, He has to work through me. It's the invitation. For you, if that's where you are of Christian maturity, moving in the spirit, following Jesus together, is to learn this year to also be needy. Not just needed, but needy. Lindsay and I uh, love to watch mountain climbing documentaries. Which is very strange, if you know me. She likes the nature part of it, and I hate nature and heights. So I don't know what I like about climbing documentaries, uh, but we watch them. And we're like sitting in fear for an hour and a half and watch people that are better than us at life. But we we watch them a lot. It's crazy how many there are, too. We watched one uh, last week on Netflix, highly recommended. It's called 14 Peaks. 14 Peaks is about a Nepali mountain climber named Nimsdai Persia. Nimsdai is a crazy dude with crazy natural ability that sets out for his goal to climb all 14 18,000 meter or higher peaks in a span of seven months. So if you don't know what that means, that means he's going to climb Mount Everest and 13 other mountains just like it in the span of seven months. The, The fastest person before him did it in seven years. So crazy guy, right? So you're watching this and you're like, this dude is insane. Like he's, he's going to do this. Like what is going on? It's all about like his brain and how he's wired and his special heart. He's got like this unique anaerobic ability. It's all crazy. All I don't understand. But what's fascinating as you're watching this documentary is that there are times where the director makes Nims die the hero. And there's times where he's the one getting rescued. So there's this part in alpine climbing, I don't know, I'll never do it, but I watch the documentaries, where if you get up to about 8,000 meters, which is about five miles up on this mountain, it's this area that climbers call the death zone. And the death zone is a place where the pressure of oxygen is so strong that you can't survive breathing normally, your brain can't handle it. And so within the span of, I think like a couple of hours, you'll start hallucinating and you'll start basically going in and out of consciousness. And so, and to combat this, a lot of modern day climbers will carry oxygen tanks and oxygen masks enough to get them up to the summit and back out of the death zone. And it's fascinating because on one of the climbs, about halfway through his journey, Nimsdai and his group need to rescue or care for a guy who has run out of oxygen in the death zone. And so there's this kind of harrowing tale. They step in, Nimsdai offers up some oxygen to the guy, they rescue him, get him down the mountain. And you're like, yes, Nimsdai's the man. Like, he's awesome. This is great. And then I think it's like the next climb or the second to next climb after that, the very thing happens except reversed. Nimsdai starts running out of oxygen in the death zone. He starts hallucinating. He tells a story about how he's like seeing the Yeti monster like attack him, like all this crazy stuff. And he starts going in and out of consciousness. And somebody else on his team then has to step in and save him. And so at both parts in the documentary, Nimsdai is both needed and needy. What a beautiful picture of Christian community. What a beautiful picture of following Jesus together. That when we get into those moments where we're carrying heavy burdens, we're in the quote-unquote death zone of life, and it feels like I don't know how to move forward. There are going to be times where you need the oxygen, and there are going to be times where you need to give the oxygen. Both are Christian maturity. Being able to say, hey, I need help. Hey, will you stand in the gap for me? Hey, will you help? Will you listen? Will you remind me of the gospel? Will you tell me about God's character and his faithfulness? And there are gonna be times where you're gonna go, hey, let me tell you about God's character and faithfulness. Let me remind you of what God has done. Let me tell you about the gospel, what Christ has done on your behalf. This is how we learn to follow Jesus together. After all, being needed and needy is at the heart of the gospel, right? Like the message of the gospel is that we are both needy and needed, that we're needy, right? Christ steps into our deepest need, that we, without Jesus, are lost, broken, stuck in our sin, dead in our sin, and he moves towards our neediness. And then the Bible says he then turns us around to go help others in their neediness. That we're reconciled to Christ, and then we become agents and ministers of reconciliation. That we, as 1 John 4, 11 says, that because, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The gospel frees us to be desperately needy. It's the first requirement that we realize we need. We need a savior. We need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need to be washed clean. And then it moves us towards also being needed by those around us. Let's talk about the last one. Following Jesus together with grit. Verse nine. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Stepping into this call of Christ, following Jesus together is going to take some grit. Can we just be honest for a second? Life is really hard. All of us in here have responsibilities. For a lot of us, we're like stepping back into work tomorrow after a really good vacation, and we're just dreading it. We're like, man, 7 to 5, 8 to 5, whatever I got, I got to go back to my responsibilities. I got to go to the grocery store. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, life is hard. And there are days, to be honest with you, my perfect day is I can turn my phone off, go play golf, and then watch TV and eat pizza for the rest of the day. Like, I'm just being honest. Anybody else? Just me? Nice. Let's hang out, Matt, after this. Some days I'm just like, I just don't want to do it. Like, just give me some pizza and some golf and some Netflix. Like, I just don't want to do it. But to step forward in following Jesus together, it's going to take some grit. Here's what I mean by grit. Angela Duckworth, she's a PhD psychologist, a genius. She's devoted her life to the study of grit and how it manifests itself and applies to our lives. This is how she defines it. She defines grit as, quote, the passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Here's what she writes. She says, grit is about having what some researchers call an ultimate concern, a goal you care so much about that it organizes and gives meaning to almost everything you do. And grit is holding steadfast to that goal. So the one organizing goal, following Jesus with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that organizes our lives. And then grit is holding steadfast to that goal. Even when you fall down, even when you screw up, even when progress toward that goal is halting or slow. The word the Bible would use for it is the word steadfastness. We remain steadfast. We stand firm when life gets hard and difficult and boring and tedious and mundane. We don't throw in the towel. We play the long game. We play the long game. We care about year 10. We care about year 15. We care about who we are becoming. That who we are in 20 years is who we are today. Grit means I don't grow weary in the doing good of following Jesus together. Grit means that I get up in the morning and I get those 15 minutes with God, even though I would rather sleep, because most of the time I would rather sleep. Grit means making that phone call to check in on a community group member, even when I would rather watch TV, because to be honest, a lot of times I would rather watch TV. Grit means having the disciplined conversation about Jesus and grace and obedience with my kid for the 15th time, even though I'd rather just yell and be done, because most of the time I'd rather yell and be done. Grit means going to spend time with my non-Christian coworker, even when it's easier to go hang out with the same Christians that I've hung out with for four times this week, even when it's easier to do that. But grit says I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not resigning myself to my immediate desires or whims. That's what you have to fight against for great. You have to push back against what you want in the moment, what feels good and what feels easiest and what feels like the path of least resistance. Because going after our whims and desires, and I love you, but I got to say this, going after my whims and desires, that's what toddlers do. And I know this because I've been following a toddler around for the last two years. And it's like, no, you can't eat that cookie. No, you can't stick your finger in the electrical socket. No, you can't have 5,000 blueberries. Like this is not how life works. But toddlers do that, right? They're driven by whatever they want in the moment. She has no long-term ability to play the long game. She wants what she wants when she wants it. another marker of a toddler is how quickly she gets angry when things don't go her way. Can I have that? No, freak out on the floor. Listen, being driven by our whims, being driven by our emotions, being driven by the path of least resistance because we want it now and we have no view of the long game is what toddlers do. And for me, myself personally, one of the things the Lord's pressing on me is that a lot of times I'm a spiritual toddler. I'm so driven by what I want in the moment i am so driven by what my heart views as the path of least resistance in the moment. It's easier not to engage. It's easier not to say the thing. It's easier just to pull back. It's easier to ignore. It's easier to not confess. It's easier to not own it. It's easier to not repent. Whatever it may be, my heart is drawn to the path of least resistance. So grit means I step forward. Grit means by the power of the Holy Spirit, I worship when I don't want to. It means I get in God's word when I don't want to. It means I engage with community when it's painful and when I don't want to. That's the stuff of growing, not growing weary and doing good. Eugene Peterson, uh, who passed away a few years ago, wrote a book. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Uh, it's my favorite book besides the Bible. You should read it tomorrow. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson. This is what he says. He says, we live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, that there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. There's a great, notice this part, oof, there's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Holiness. Everyone wants the emotional experience. Everybody wants the feel-good worship. Everybody wants the sermon that makes us cry. Everybody wants the quiet time that gets us so pumped for the day, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But are we willing to sign up for the long obedience in the same direction towards holiness? That's what it means to have grit. What good news we have in the gospel church that we serve and follow a Savior that did not give up when it got hard. I love the gospel story because it's really good for Jesus a week before it goes really, really bad, but ultimately the best eternally, right? Cause he's entering into the city. He's on a donkey. The whole crowd is celebrating him. Hallelujah. Hosanna in the highest, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't take the path of least resistance. Yeah. Make me an earthly King. Let's go get the Romans. Let's crush them. He takes the path of heart, of painful, of difficult. And a week later he's betrayed He's beaten, he's mocked, he's abused physically, emotionally, spiritually, takes our sin, and he goes to the cross. And listen, the love of Christ that goes to the cross, that dies for our sin, that is buried in the ground and rises again, that is a gritty, steadfast love. It's a love that doesn't give up when it gets hard. And it's Christ, here's the good news, it's Christ that brings our souls rest and renewal to be gritty ourselves. Because gritty doesn't just mean you, you grind your teeth, right? Gritty's not like, grind your teeth, figure it out. It's a reminder that the Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in all who trust in Jesus. So gritty means we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Gritty means that Christ did die, but he did rise again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and that you are now sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're forgiven and washed clean and made new and being sanctified so you can say no to sin and yes to God. So we live by the power of that Spirit. We remind ourselves over and over and over and over and over again. My victory, my victory, my victory, my victory, my victory, my victory, my victory. Here's where I want to close. I've gone too long already. It's a vision sermon. Get over it. Everything around you is going to tell you this year not to do these things. Everything in your life, everything in your life, everything in your community, all your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, whoever, whatever that looks like for you, everything around you and inside of you is going to say, this is not worth it. Following Jesus is lame. Follow your heart instead. Living in deep community, pushing through and forgiving and reconciling, even when it's difficult or weird or awkward or lame or hurtful, is bad. Don't do it. Set some boundaries, leave them alone, do whatever. Everything around you is going to say, hey, don't have grit. Why would you follow Jesus if it doesn't make your life better? Why would you follow Jesus if it doesn't lead to health, wealth, and prospering? Give up on this. Let me tell you a story. This is where we'll close. About a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. My family's German, so he's An idol of mine because he's German. Idol, like good idol, like look up to him, not like worship idol. (laughs) This is how I know. I've gone too long. Uh, Bonhoeffer grew up in the 1900s. If you haven't read his story, it's a really fascinating story. He becomes a Christian early in his life. He devotes his life to studying and preaching God's word. Uh, In the 1930s, the Reich, led by Hitler, uh, starts to infiltrate the church. And their expressed goal is not just to take over militarily, but take over spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And so they take over the church and a bunch of confessing Jesus worshiping Christians leave and start forming their own secret underground churches. And they decide, hey, in order to, to put pastors into these churches, we need a secret underground seminary. And so they choose Bonhoeffer to start a seminary called Finkelwald, which sounds very Harry Potter. And so Bonhoeffer, establishes this seminary called Finkelwald, and it's this kind of robust view of communal life. So he says, okay, we're going to wake up in the morning together. We're going to worship together. They're going to go to class. We're going to study. We're going to eat meals. We're going to basically devote all of our lives morning till evening around deep formation, following Jesus together. In fact, this pattern that he establishes is so overwhelming that a lot of his Jesus following friends are like, this is too much like, Dietrich, this is, you can't do this, like, this is too overwhelming. And one of those friends in particular was a guy named Wilhelm Neisel. Neisel came uh, to visit Bonhoeffer for the purpose of being like, hey, man, this is too much. We got to like, pull it back. This is going too strong. And so they're talking, and, and Bonhoeffer takes Neisel up to uh, the top of a nearby hill. And on this hill, you can look to your left, and you can see Finkewald, The the seminary that they're uh, establishing, trying to create uh, and develop pastors that are going to go lead churches to follow Jesus. And on the right, there's a German airbase where you can see soldiers marching as they're getting trained to fight for the Third Reich. And look over this scene, and Bonhoeffer says to Neisel, says this quote, he says, these soldiers, pointing to the German airbase, are being trained for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. They are being shaped. And what we do here at Finkelwald must be stronger than that. He says no amount of spiritual formation, no amount of pushing and routine and rhythm and sacrificing and grit to follow Jesus together can be enough if this is what we're up against. But here's the good news. He says this not only must be stronger than that, but can be stronger than that by the power of the Holy Spirit because we have to. So as we consider this this vision, this thought, this theme, it's a lot of words. It's from Galatians 6. I hope that you'll buy into it. I really do. I hope that you'll say, yeah, this is what I want to be about. I want to be a part of this. I want to follow Jesus together with grit. But here's here's the deal on this. Two things. Number one, everything in you this year is not going to want to do this except for one thing, and that is the Holy Spirit. That's good news. It's by his power and it's by his grace and it's through his might that we will step forward together, even when we don't want to, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, mundane, boring, tedious, when it's August and we're like, really, we're still trying this thing? That's going to be the spirit. So we're going to push forward together. So we're going forward. Let me pray for us and then we'll celebrate King Jesus together. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for Galatians 6. God, thank you for the chance to to follow you with others who love you, who want to follow you as well. God, I know that there's a lot up against us in our hearts, in our lives. God, that we have the flesh, that the flesh, this operating system within us, everything about it wants to pull us away from following you. Lord, and there's going to be so much throughout this year that's going to call for our attention. Some good things. Work, responsibilities at home, friends, family. Some good things that you invite us to step into, Lord. But I pray in the midst of the good things that we will see the best thing. Loving and following Jesus. And there's going to be some bad things that call for our attention. God, there's going to be some temptations towards sin. There's going to be some temptations towards lawlessness. There's going to be temptations towards hiding and fleeing and running and disbelieving the best about you and the best about one another, Lord. And so I pray in the midst of that, too, that you will protect us and you will guard us and you will help us and you will guide us. Lord, we're desperate for you. God, without your spirit, this is just a bunch of words that we've thrown together because they sound cool. Where we need your spirit. God, we are desperate for a move of you in our hearts. God, you are the one in Philippians 1 6, God, you are the one who promises that you will finish the work that you have started and all of the Christian life is grace upon grace. You initiate, you seek, you search, you save, you rescue. And what we are only called to do by the power of your spirit, which is still your work too, is to respond. Now we need you desperately. And we need you on January 2nd. We're going to need you on August 5th. And we're going to need you on October 30th and every day in between. all these in Christ's name. Amen.